0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Overdue Rentals podcast, the show where we talk about films that are not talked enough about anymore as they once were. I'm already stumbling over what I'm saying because I'm always excited to talk to our guests. And uh, it's a very special episode today, though, because what normally you'll hear is, Hi, I'm Matthew Shuckman. And then you'll hear my co-host, Mike Reyes, say something. But Mike has been called away on special secret service junkitude Uh, and is traveling the world fantastic, and is away and can't join us today. So today I am joined by a good friend and colleague who you may have uh, heard recently on another episode that we posted, and that young gentleman is... Andrew Corpin. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us, for for helping me guess this episode today, because while I am sure it would have been great if it was just me, I always like having somebody around to bounce things off with, because... You and I are going to be talking to James Pond about his new film *Summering*, which is about four. Uh, well, are they about to, to to enter middle school, or is they're about to enter they're about to enter middle school, right? Yeah, four 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 young ladies who are about to enter middle school on their last few days of summer vacation. Uh, unfortunately, uh, stumble across a dead body in a in a slightly not in a *Stand By Me* ish type of way, but also in a very *Stand Stand By Me* ish <laughs> type of way. Um, And then we're also going to talk about James uh, with James about his uh, 2013 film, Spectacular Now, which starred Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley, which is about uh, high school students, uh, specifically um, Sutter Keeley, who is going through a lot of things in his life uh, on the exit from high school with the possibility of college and and, and kind of what happens to him and the way his life's affected from there. Um, And I think we'll keep it at that if you haven't seen it. We will have some spoilers later on. Uh, If you haven't seen them yet, but go do so those, uh, see those. But uh, in the meantime, I think Andrew and I are going to get James in here to talk to him about uh, these two films. James, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I I, I do want to start off because, you know, just to jump right into talking about summering, because there's so much that could be considered homage in this film. And I'm wondering where parts of it were just you wanting to pay homage to things, but also using a frame of reference for people to help them understand the film a little bit better. For instance, using Terabithia as a place uh, or or name, let's say.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, Summering started, um, you know, for me as a parent, I have three young kids, um, so that's really where where it began. Um, my, my co-writer uh, Ben Percy also has kids, and. Um, I think, you know, it, it. its roots began from conversations between parents and children trying to understand where the other one is coming from, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so much. Um, and then, you know, there's a longer story, but uh, the short version is that um, there was a, mount, a man found um, dead near my home and he couldn't mm. be identified. Um, and, um, you know, this was several years ago and, um, you know, and it felt like to me that to not even received the dignity of being named upon death felt like it was sort of a troubling signifier of, of, um, you know, something larger culturally that's fundamentally broken. So, you know, I I began to have conversations with family and friends, including my children, Mm -hmm. um, about issues, you know, related, wide-ranging issues related to justice, personal responsibility, death. Um, You know, Ben and I, um, my co-writer, we've I think we started this conversation probably 15 years ago. Um, I had, um, he had written a short story, um, called refresh refresh that was in the Paris review. Um, I adapted it and went to the Sundance screenwriters lab with it. Um, that, and that story was about young people and violence and structural violence. Um, and then that script was adapted by a really amazing graphic novelist named Danika Gordov, who turned it into a graphic novel that, um, was selected for Best American Comics um, in 2011 by Alison Bechdel. Hmm. Um, so, you know, this has really sort of been, a, I guess, a lar- larger conversation. Um, I mean, even going further back, I mean, my thesis film in film school <laughs> was about a single mother <laughs> and her young daughter, Ginny Garofalo, played the mom. So I think it's just been sort of an ongoing, um, you know, conversation that's um, changed and evolved as I have become a parent. And now I have kids and I have to um, answer answer their questions, um, sometimes I don't have good answers. Most of the time I, I have fumbling, rambling, you know, um, um, attempts at, at explaining why things are how they are and things that seem not right to them. And I think young people always have a really innate sense that when something is off, they're, they're the first to say, actually, your answers are BS, I don't accept those. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we need better answers, we need better stories, we need better representation.
0: I mean, I, I can only talk about that from an outside view. I don't have children of my own, but I can definitely understand that feeling, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, and, you know, just sort of elaborating on that, um, you know, I, I mean, I think for myself and may, maybe for the two of you, like when I was a kid, um, in the coming-of-age stories, um, you know, books and movies that existed, there was quite a bit of surrogacy where I could see characters that looked like me, maybe thought like me, And I don't think, um, I I don't think we're always, we always fully realize how conditioned we are to male subjectivity um, in stories. It's a a real privilege for men. um, I think it's the type of privilege that we really need to question. You know, my wife, my sister, my mom, they didn't have that same privilege. Um, So in some ways, summering is about expanding access, but I think it's also an attempt to look at what we all gain everybody um, from more robust, um, you know, depictions of female subjectivity in the stories we tell.
2: Well, James, I actually spoke to Benjamin or Ben the other day, and he was talking a lot about the process you guys took to write the film. Uh, Could you elaborate a little bit more from your perspective? He was saying you guys shared like a Google doc and stuff like that. Is that how that worked?
1: yeah i mean we we again we've known each other for so long now and collaborated before i've adapted his work and we've just sort of collaborated on things um it was just an ongoing conversation and we have um that sort of included the two of us but it sort of expanded to include all of the people around us we have you know i think similarly um you know we we both have close relationships with our with our sisters and moms who are really tight with us ben's sister is actually a remarkable journalist named Jennifer Percy, Um, but we sort of as we were sort of expanding the story and exploring it, we were just constantly sharing it with the friends in our lives and especially the women in our lives and just asking them to sort of prosecute the ideas that were fundamental to it and to talk about about what is different um, from their perspective. Um, in female friendship and especially female friendship at the age that's specific to this film, which is 11, 12 years old, not quite adolescent. What is different in female friendship than say for instance, male friendship at that age?
0: I'm going to go off on a little bit of a strange tangent at this point because I have okay. a very specific question that may I may take a very long time explaining it and the answer would just be maybe no. Because uh, I don't know if you can see behind me. I have some Richard Thompson uh, records. I I, behind see that. Me. <laughs> I actually spoke to you very briefly when Smashed came out. And I remember talking to you about using I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. Yeah. And while it's an, a very obvious thing not to just jump to this conclusion, because it's a very obvious thing for anybody to say, when I'm watching Summering and they say, I wonder if he jumped or maybe was pushed, I immediately jumped to, did she jump or was she pushed From Showed out the lights. And I'm wondering was a very specific reference or not.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, I think it, it's, that's so awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm like humbled and I, I, um, I, I don't have a, a pithy answer. Um, I, I think I would just say, I have a roundabout answer, which I think is, you know, it's only after, in some cases, after you have made something sometimes that other people who are much more astute um, <laughs> can point things out to you, that you just, um, at least just speaking for myself, um, sometimes you're completely aware that, oh, these are the themes that I'm exploring, which just sounds heady and intellectual. Um, usually you're just following an emotional impulse, but um, a lot of times it takes other people later to say, this is something that is common from <laughs> this to this to this to this. To this. Um, you know, and I, I would say, I mean, like Smashed, um, you know, which I made had 10, 10 years ago, um, um, you know, for me, a lot of that came from experiences that were going on in my life at the time and friends that I was seeing and sort of um, people who are slowly killing themselves <laughs> with different substances that sometimes played out like a tragic comedy. Like when you were going to someone's wedding and the bride and groom are both drunk at their own wedding, it's funny when they're falling like Homer Simpson. Tragic once they have kids, you know? Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's just that. Um, and, and I think you know, there is this through line to characters like the characters from Smashed, um, to some of the characters, if you caught up with them a little bit later, perhaps some of the, some of the parents, for instance, uh, maybe some of the men who are off screen in something like Summering. Yeah.
0: It, was just one of the, it was just one of those things where like, it doesn't take me out of the movie, but like, as soon as it happens, I'm sitting watching the movie and I'm still in my head going, did she jump or was she? Put? So I, like, the whole time I'm thinking about it, I gotta ask James about it. I gotta ask James about it. That's the best. I love that question. Thank you.
2: And James, I've happened to see seen three of your films. I've seen uh, Spectacular Now, uh, The Circle, and Summering. So I'm just curious, those are three different age ranges you've done, high school, uh, middle school, and adulthood. Um, I'm just curious, is there another drama, is there a college drama or comedy coming up for you?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I'm like, I think everyone, I was gonna say this was my experience, but I realized this is probably <laughs> common to everybody. Like when you grow up, you are around, you're around kids, you're around your parents, your grandparents, your extended family, whatever your family is, whether it's, um, you know, I mean, any anybody that you're around can become your family and your friend group, but I think they tend to be multi-generational. Um, but I don't know that that's always, um, I think it's rare a lot of times, you know, to see that in films, like sort of multi-generational stories. And I think especially, Perspectives from young people, um, very young people, like children, um, and perspectives from much older people, like the elderly. Um, um, you know, which is something that's important to me as well. Like I, I grew up, my mom was a hospice volunteer throughout my childhood, so there are always people who are quite a bit older, um, and in some cases, you know, staring down death. And and their perspectives, I felt like I've always felt like those are two groups that are that are marginalized. Um, their perspectives are not valued and dramatized as much. Um, and so that certainly interests me and I'm, I guess I'm always interested in those conversations between generations and just those disconnects, um, between young people and old people. And then, yeah, when you're a teenager, you think, you know, everything <laughs> I'm generalizing. Yes. But, um, yeah. So
0: yes, perhaps. Well, well, think you actually jumping off of that, because not thinking about more so like kind of trying to pinpoint, you know, every age range that there is in the world, but thinking about other films that you may have wanted to do or think of are doing, because, I was kind of surprised because I like to go into things as blind as I can. So when I started summering, I was not ready for a lot of the actual horror elements that you fit in there. And I'm wondering how much was it just for, again, going back to some of those other stories, other movies that may have inspired some of the feelings or just kind of wanting to play around a little bit in a different, um, you know, playground that you're not used to.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of yes to all of that. And then other things as well that are like deeply personal. Um, I mean, when they, when the characters are in that storage unit, um, late in the film, one of the characters picks up um, a Shirley Jackson book, We've Always Lived in the Castle, um, which is one of my favorite Shirley Jackson books, but that's my mother on the cover. My mother was the model for that. My grandfather painted that cover. Oh, wow! My, my grandfather oh. painted Agatha Christie covers and Shirley Jackson covers. He painted movie posters as well. Like a lot of times when, they, when there would be a European release of an American film like Papillon or Escape from Alcatraz or Deliverance, he would do that. But when I was a kid, what most interested me was all the horror and mystery and thriller covers that were around. I mean, he had my mom or my grandma or their neighbors posing in the yard, like hanging from a tree or in a bathtub with their throat slashed. Or whatever. So there was just this, and my grandfather was also one of the funniest people I knew. Um, and so there was hor- everyday horror and the macabre sort of, and it was sort of around. Um, and I watched, I have an older sister who was like deeply influential on me and she was like, a horror fanatic. So she was able to rent movies, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street or Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 before I could, but the tape would be left around when she'd have a spend the night party and I would watch it. So I ingested them through her. And um, so that sort of is baked into sort of my psyche. And then I think as I've gotten older and then as I've you know had kids, I look at the way that they process trauma, um, specific direct trauma, like uh, a relative dying, a pet dying, Um, or things that can feel more abstract, but are really the stuff of speculative fiction. And and, and, and so it seemed like the stuff of like sci-fi if we rewound 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, which is like during the era of COVID, you have young children afraid, especially in the early days of it, that if mommy and daddy go out and they breathe the wrong air, they will die, Um, which is a real thing. And to have to answer that, answer those fears and anxieties and look your kid in the eye and say, no, no, everything's gonna be okay. When you don't know if that's the case, Um, you realize that so much of the way that children, I think especially younger children, process trauma is through their imagination, Um, you know, and they, you know, and they can, especially younger kids, and you mentioned books like Bridget Terabithia and things like that, Um, I think those really go to that specific time pre-adolescence when kids like imagination might be one of the tools or or horror, um, you know, like how they process things and they haven't been socially conditioned as they've gotten into adolescence and adulthood to just normalize things that maybe shouldn't be.
2: Well, and can I ask you to you, cause I asked Ben the same question. He gave okay. me an answer. Uh, so for you, is the body, was the body real or was it not real?
1: You know, it, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's one of those things that's, um, you know, up, I mean, up to the viewer in some way but i guess what i would say is that it was really important to have a female centered narrative you know and 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 centered around the age of these characters who are all you know 11 12 years old and i don't any anytime you start talking about generational things or gender things you can fall into wild generalization so i want to be very careful to be specific which is mm. if you take four kids that age male or female they develop socially and emotionally at, 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 at different, at different, you know, um, at different stages, at different paces. Um, and, and, um, you know, you might have a kid who can present as, as innocent or naive or really be stuck in their imagination. There might be another kid based on their personal proximity or experience with trauma or violence where they just have lost, have lost that thing. Um, but so it is a spectrum of kids, but, um, I would say that, what is one thing that I think um, is maybe different than female friendship, um, certainly at that age and male friendship is how much um, there is an articulation around the value of friendship. You know, it is something that girls will vocalize. They will talk about the importance of their friendships in a way that young boys might not. There is sometimes the third thing, the the sport, the object, and still with grown men, they can't always talk about their feelings. So that the fear of, for these characters specifically, um, the fear of losing their best friends, the fear of change, um, and sometimes death, you know, death death is the ultimate change. Um, the fear of change can be more front of mind and palpable than the fear of death. Um, and sometimes they collide. And this is, you know, a story intentionally set at that very specific point at the end of childhood, at the end of summer.
0: Yeah. Well. As much as we, I mean, we will also kind of tie things back to simmering the whole time as well. But here on Overdrentals, we do like to talk about films that maybe just don't get as much mention as they once did when they first came out. And Spectacular Now is one of those films that hit in such a way because it was both timely, because it was it was kind of at that point where society kind of was making that, that turn mm-hmm. from kind of where we maybe – you and both, both you and I were as, as, as children, uh, you know, compared to what children, how they experience things, today, not as so children, teens, how yeah. they experience things today. Plus you also are introduced, not, I mean, look, Miles and, 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 and Shaylee had, you know, careers before they did this, but this was like the big, almost big jumping off point in a lot of ways for people getting used to them. Did it feel like you were kind of handling something like that important at the time, or again, I'm just making a movie. Let me make my movie. Here we go.
1: Um, I mean, it felt important to me and to all the people making it, um, you know, it, you obviously you can only, you can only control what you can control, you know, you can control the process, hopefully, <laughs> with which you make something <laughs> like, I mean, there's never blank checks, there's never endless time, but you can certainly try to create a sense of equity and dignity and kindness um, as far as like work conditions and how people like treat each other on set. You can you can treat the work serious, you can create a sense of play and fun while treating the work seriously and put your heart into it. You know, how, how it is received by other people um, critically um, or like financially is beyond your control and you'll just pull your hair out trying, <laughs> trying to anticipate that so you really can't, get, you can't ever control that. So, I mean, I can just say for Spectacular Now, it was really important for me to dignify, um, like I would with any story of characters at any age, but really dignify the emotional inner lives of those characters. Um, And for them, in some ways like Summering, um, you know, their problems as it were, like what what the problems in their lives, the conflicts in their lives, the, the fears and anxieties in their lives are huge to them. They are earth shattering to them to someone five or 10 or 20 years older, it might be trivial. It might be like, oh, come on, you'll have your heart broken again. Oh, come on. But like when you don't have the context of experience with which to, you know, um, process those events, they can feel earth shattering. And I think like first love, first heartbreak, understanding that certain structures are not going to support you, um, whether it's familial, um, some some of the things, some of the themes that were in that about toxic masculinity, about, addiction, you know, all of those things that are there in kind of low key ways, but are part of it, um, were things that are, you know, they're serious issues and they're serious for the characters. And I wanted to just make sure, just kind of like with summering, just to dignify, just because the characters are younger, um, doesn't mean that their personal, their emotional inner lives and their fears, hopes, dreams are less than, like they just have had less life. So I wanted to put it on a stage, you know, a big widescreen stage and make it feel epic because it
0: does certainly for them and that being adapted from a book though too is that something where you feel like is that something that's easier or harder because i can i can feel i can understand this idea where maybe having source material makes it easier because easier i have a jumping off point or a basis that i can go back to but at the same time if i maybe take it too far maybe i'm losing the point that the original author had or let's say
1: yeah i mean um I mean with spectacular now like i had, i had really wanted to do a story about an autobiographical character kind of <laughs> about, <laughs> about, about, about age 16 or 17, what that was for me. Um, and when I, um, you know, Tim Tharp's novel that Spectacular Now was based on, it was an amazing national book award-nominated novel that was set in Oklahoma. And there were some like superficial aspects of it that were different than my childhood, but much of like Sutter Keeley, the character that Miles played was very, very similar to myself. So um, when I read Scott Newstead Mike Weber's script, Um, It felt like someone had 90% of it was, I could see myself in. Mm. And I really, my desire was just to take it, even make it as personal as humanly possible. I mean, I, I reset it to Athens, Georgia, where I'm from, and we shot it all in the neighborhoods and houses and streets Mm. where I grew up and other, other, everything in it is, you know, in that way is like, is, is my childhood. So I, you know, there was a, you don't, I think, want to um, sort of pull the roots out so to speak, of a story of what's central to it. Like if you really can boil down the central, what it's centrally exploring, I don't, if, if you have a completely different take on it, sometimes that can be interesting, but, but, but maybe you don't want to do that. But I think other things, sometimes it's, it's really interesting to see um, things through a different, through a different lens um, and to make stories as, as personal as possible.
2: And can I ask you about the casting process a little bit about that film? Because, of course, Miles and Schlane are like the standout. You know, everybody, they're the main characters. Everybody talks about them. But you also have in there, like C- Caitlin Deaver, who at that time was not very well known. And now, of course, she's one of the, you know, bigger up and coming actors, I would say. Am I wrong? <laughs> uh, I see yeah, like, that. So I don't know. Like <laughs> she's like my. F- okay. So I'm glad to hear that cause she's my favorite actress. And Brie Larson yeah. as well in there. You know, and these are people that were at that time were not, you know, now we're used to, especially Brie Larson being in Marvel and bigger projects. But, you know, you had these actors you know was over a decade or about a decade ago right
1: we, we shot uh we shot like 10 years ago yeah wow crazy um uh, we <laughs> shot i think <laughs> 10 years ago this summer i believe oh wow
2: Jesus. Um,
0: yeah well see i mean that's that's the thing like you you have to wonder too with your cast the summer and you know maybe one day they're gonna be the, the the name that's on everybody's lips and it's like not saying that you discovered them not saying that you know you are can you look back and watching performances from spectacular now let's say and then see miles of shailene in something and go you know what that's kind of something we talked about i feel like not that <laughs> i've changed the way they act but like it's good that i was able to impart something on them that they took off to something else
1: uh you know i'm i'm a fan of great actors i think you know i think when you're casting you know um like with summering for instance i worked with a great casting director named a. Kaufman. Um, who I've worked with a lot, who has cast many of my favorite movies um, with characters that were both old and young alike. She has a real gift for sort of helping assemble an ensemble. Um, and I, I think for myself and her and like, and my my partner on Summering, Jen Dana, um, I think a lot of it, you know, the, the way that we would approach auditions is similar to what we did on Spectacular Now, which is what is the role on the page? What are the needs of the character? and then and then, as you're meeting different actors, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of actors, um, who is the most interesting to you? like who who both serves the character on the page and then expands your consciousness of what that person is and creates life in the white space of the script, you know, that doesn't exist, where it's just like, oh man, like even if it's a character, that only has a few lines or a few scenes like I could watch an entire movie with them so I mean in many ways like what's spectacular now it was the actors that I just found th- I mean you can never predict again like the film and tv business are fickle yeah. and unpredictable you can't predict who's going to be a star but you can like you can say I find that person their you know their um, their instincts fascinating I find their mind interesting their imagination which is I think an actor's greatest tool so amazing and so whether it was Caitlin, yeah, who was, I think Caitlin was 15 when we shot that, or other actors who were in it who were older, like Kyle Chandler, or Andre Royo, or Bob Odenkirk, or Jennifer mm-hmm. Jason Lee, like, it yeah. was trying to populate the film with people who both served the roles, but then I found wildly interesting, and in some cases, shifted, went a little left of center of maybe how I had initially thought of the character.
0: It's It's so strange, too, because, I mean, look, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, too, but it's like one of these things where, like, look, if you look at Andre, let's say, you know, a lot of people are just going to think the wire, you know, mm. and Bob at that, t- at that time when you had him, yes, he had the Breaking Bad, Breakout and everything like that. But I'm st- I'm Mr. Show Fanatic. I still think it's so weird going online, like <laughs> looking at old clips I forgot about to see like, oh, my God, it's so good. I was like, don't you realize it's Bob Odenkirk? Like, I mean, even even actually Ben Stiller's show is where I started watching Bob Odenkirk.
1: <laughs> Bob o- Bob Odenkirk. Wrote my favorite Saturday Night Live sketches. Um, I mean, he he wrote um, like Matt Foley, motivational speaker, like living in a van down that by the river, like all those things. That was that was Bob Odenkirk. So I too was a Mr. Show um, super super fan. And I I think you know, I mean, again, I try to approach you know um, filmmaking from a place of joy and excitement. You know, like who do I just like love watching? Who who? feels alive and real to me. And, um, you know, sometimes it's actors who have a long list of credits. Sometimes it's actors who are very famous. Sometimes it's people who have never met before and a really amazing casting director has advocated for them. It like, you have to meet this person who is maybe right out of drama school or might just be 11 years old, but <laughs> they really believe in them. And and sometimes, you know, when someone doesn't have that resume or those other sort of cultural references, like a show that you saw a long time ago, sometimes you're just looking for that glimmer of, you know, excitement where you're like, wow, that that's, they just make me laugh. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the, the case of like the, the cast here with Summering, I mean, all of our actors, I really, the, the four actors who played the, the the girls at the center, the four actors who played their moms, they're all people that I just love to watch. and. Like Megan Mullally is absolutely hilarious and brilliant. I worked with her on Smash. And then Eden Grace Redfield, who plays her daughter, is like brilliant and so funny and so deadpan. And just watching them sort of bounce off each other as actors, I, it was just made me so happy watching them go off script and just try to make each other laugh. Um, I just felt like I was really grateful to be a participant in that.
2: Well, can I ask you, I don't know, math. Is okay if I shift back to some um, well, but Please, just, yeah, go
0: right ahead. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, I'm just curious with that young cast, because they have such a great camaraderie, you know, and they're the focus of the film. Did you have them do any, you know, was it just natural? Like, did, they, did you just put them on set and they were perfect together? Or did you have them do any activities or anything that, you know, I'm also interviewing three or four, three of them uh, in oh, a few cool. days. So I'm just curious if I can, is there anything I can bring up, you know, uh, in prep?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, this was a movie, like all the movies, y'all are um, sort of talking about these days it was made during for most of the movies i would assume um made during covid so the casting process um was a was a product of that as well we were doing it over zoom um so we would you know i would be with my casting director and then there would be an actor in the zoom waiting room (laughs) and then they would come in and you know in the case of the, the, the the younger cast at the center of it you know a lot of it initially would just be talking to them and getting know them who are you what are you what are you doing this summer <laughs> like what what do you find funny what's <laughs> scary how weird is remote school how are your parents holding up? All, everything you can imagine and really just asking hopefully the right questions and then just listening and, and watching and then auditioning them and then and then seeing them together like once they were sort of assembled um you know early on I I had a like a, a zoom like it was much like this um you know it was it was the four um, girls at the center of it myself. Um, you know, I was introducing them to each other. Um, I thought that maybe I would moderate. I don't know what I thought. I just wanted them to meet each other and to begin the process of becoming friends or being able to play friends. Um, and um, I think I just asked maybe one question. I think I probably said something generic. Like, "What? what's it What's it been like? Like, you know, since, since you guys had to like go to remote school and what, I mean, what's life been like? Um, I don't think I talked much again for the next like hour and a half because they were just like off to the races, like finishing each other's sentences, all with like a different musicality to the way they communicate, all so smart, so funny, politically astute, like <laughs> in the ways, I don't mean just like in the, in the way of like elected politics, but in the ways of social media, the way that they're being marketed to. Like there's a, a healthy degree of skepticism, um, but also a deep threat of idealism and, and a sense of uh, you know, humor and just fierce, fierce intelligence, um, and it was just a pleasure watching them talk for a while. And I was like, "This is, this is the film. Like, I if I help facilitate this, great. But now my role is to step back and just watch and listen."
0: But we're going to have to let you go soon, so I want to end off on one thing that kind of talks about both films as well. And I'm wondering if it's something that is a conscious effort on your part, or just the way things end up, because both with Spectacular Now and Summering, even though they have elements that are what people would be used to is for these types of stories, they both kind of go against the grain in a lot of ways in that, for instance, like you were talking about, like the back and forth between, you know, the the, the mother and and daughters in Summering and how, you know, in in another movie, we'd watch them get punished or, or yelled at where this is much more just about understanding. And in yeah. Spectacular Now, while yes, there is that, even though... Sutter is really faulted at the same time, he's not the traditional uh, male uh, figure that you see in those types of movies. Are you purposely trying to turn those ideas on their head or it's again, just the way things are working out?
1: I I think it's how it works out, but I think it's also like the conversations that I'm just in and like that are a process of being a parent to three children. My wife works at a middle school, high school. My sister's a social worker who works with children. A lot of the conversations that all of my friends, most of them, um, because of my age and I have kids, have kids. So the conversations I think we're having are about, um, representation, um, and what, what, like, whose stories are being told, how are they being told, and, and what, what does it, what does it mean? I don't think it is simply enough just to, like, cast traditional narratives and just swap the gender. That, that's actually not mm-hmm. enough. Um, Um, Because I I think we need to, there has to be, I think the best antidote antidote to sort of, whether it's structural violence or male toxicity, whatever it is, is through curiosity, through empathy, through really specific characters. Um, And for really trying to, in my case, um, I, I grew up around a lot of women, but I also wanted to, I wanted to learn through the process of making this film. And 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 at every I mean, I don't mean when we were making it, although that too, but as we were developing the script by having dozens and dozens and dozens of our female friends read the script and really have them prosecute it and and I think really hopefully alter our alter or enhance my consciousness and I think um of of what female friendship is and how it might how it just is actually different than male friendship in some ways. Sort of as I was talking about earlier on, where I think again, like our characters in this film are able to talk about the value of their friendship and what they mean to each other with a level of earnestness that can be uncomfortable, that can seem too too earnest, you know? Not as, not as jaded or cynical as I think what someone my age is, is, is used to um, and in a way that boys at that age might not. They might yeah. repress those emotions because generationally they've been taught to or they can talk about another thing, about music, about movies, about sports and that just goes on until we become our parents and our parents parents and and really getting into that. And then and then in the case of, you know, the, the mothers in the film who, you know, I can relate to my, my wife can definitely relate to some of what is said between them about how it actually can be really hard to create at midlife or, you know, when you're a little bit older, those relationships that are as meaningful to you as when you were a kid. And there is a I think a quiet sadness in that. That's something that that. Their children might not understand, <laughs> you yeah. know. And that conversation—that's either spoken or unspoken—but that is happening um, in society and families um, is something that that I'm interested in, and that I, um, I think, well, I, I will always try to try to understand um, with more or less success <laughs> you know, um, with, with, <laughs> with each thing. But I'm always going to try because it's um, because I don't know what the alternative is. Um, so,
0: well, James, thanks so much for joining us to talk about both of these films. And uh, hope to talk to you again soon about something else or maybe, maybe the same ones. Who knows? We'll just talk. I would love that. I also love the Heat 2
1: book behind yeah. you. I'm so excited to read it. Yeah. I'm excited to see Ferrari as well. And like, and the Dream Syndicate record. I love everything Oh, yeah. Me. I haven't
0: even <laughs> opened the new one yet. <sighs> Man, um, I would love to just dive through everything <laughs> behind the two of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, James. <laughs> Have a good one. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you, James, for joining us. Pleasure to talk to you. I, again, I, I did. It was, I f- almost forgot that I talked to him when Smash came out, which was around 2012. Um, and it's just so, it was just so weird. I, I I know I mentioned it during the interview, but it was, it was really weird. Like it didn't, I, I was able to still pay attention to the film. But once she said, uh, Do you think he jumped or was he pushed? <laughs> I, that song popped into my head. And it's, the whole time I was just singing it after the movie came up, I had to look, relook up some lyrics that I forgot about. It's just so weird. I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where, you know, summering is very much again, it's not it's not the same as Stand By Me. It just it's got a similar idea being about young kids finding a dead and again on Stand by Me they go searching for a dead body instead of just stumbling across it. But it's you know that it, it kind of using uses, uses, you know, the idea of death to kind of investigate another type of coming of age. Um, and it's something that I guess is, is kind of, um, not normal nowadays, is it?
2: I would not imagine so, but my middle school and high school experience is so different. That's why I love talking to James because th- both of his movies about middle school and high school, yeah, it was relatable a little bit, although I didn't have really a four person friend group. I don't know about you, <laughs> if you were run through the woods, uh, <laughs> looking for dead bodies, were you? <laughs> uh,
0: no, no, I, I just, I just, I just bury them. Oh, okay, fair that's, enough. That's yeah. where I hid mine. No. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: no, but I I did I do love a lot of things about both those films, but with Summering, for example, I don't know if this is just me, but I found that the the character archetypes are very familiar to me. And same with we'll get into Spectacular now. Mm-hmm. But here's just for me, that dynamic, the group dynamic, all the different girls have a different You know, background, you know, the one is the one is more uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like
0: one's theological, one's spiritual. Yes. (laughs) One's more one's more uh, rebellious. One's more kind of um, I don't want to I don't want to use that word. Uh, What would be the other one? I'd say one's more like buttoned up right and i think even further like
2: just like their home lives like one of the kids has high expectations you can tell from the family right They're what that she's trying to go into a ivy league school you know like you could tell their parents want them to be successful i'm trying to think of a better way of putting that then you have <laughs> the religious parents the overly religious mom and and all of that and the overly i, even I wouldn't
0: even say religious. i would say spiritual i oh, wouldn't even spiritual. use religious yeah personally
2: okay well whatever whatever phrasing uh it just reminds me of a friend group that i have you know and it just i don't know that just really resonated with me again i don't know if that's just my generation you know I don't know well that's the thing that's what's
0: interesting that's what's interesting to both think about and talk to somebody about too when they make these things because as much as you know you have your own memories of your childhood and you want to make a film one day about it or you want to write a story about it um you know things do change and yeah my my growing up was slightly different I guess Uh, I mean there was less even thinking about whether or not people held similar values when I was growing up or some of that. It's just like, Hey, we're friends and that's it. You know Um, a lot of that didn't come into play, I guess, but um, yeah, I mean, but times have changed and that's the thing, whether or not it's as James puts it, you know, he wants to kind of dive in a little bit more into, into how those things are are, are seen nowadays or have changed. It's, 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 it's less so about, in my mind, I would say, if it was my story, I would be more or less worried about specifically what has changed compared to can people relate to it, I guess. Hmm. If if they were older or younger, like if I'm going to go and make my story, are younger people going to understand it? If I change it too much, will older people understand it? Would they care? That kind of thing.
2: Hmm. Well, let me ask you a little bit, because we also talked about The Spectacular Now, which I watched for the first time right before COVID, it was actually my mm. transitional year between schools i transferred between and it really it did a lot for me you know emotionally but i don't know for you you know back then i mean well you probably saw it back in 2013 uh but i, don't did it have I any actually don't remember of, when i saw it to be honest with you oh okay, okay well did it have any sort of emotional you know resonance with you or anything about i mean because and i will say my experiences are very different it just happened to hit me at a time where i kind of felt very Alone, I guess, like Rudder in the film. Rudder? Is that a stutter? Sutter, Sutter. Sutter. I was like <laughs> Rudder, <it's> gas station.
0: <laughs> well, you know, look, I mean, my, my experience with that film and a lot of films, even I think, even when I was a teenager watching films about teenagers, whether they were modern or not, hmm. I always felt a little different. I don't know if it's just because of the way I felt about myself or my surroundings growing up. Um, You know, I... I have to look this up now because now I can't remember the name of the movie because I'm going to compare it to another movie, which I absolutely hated. Hmm. Uh, and and I'll give you for instance, as to why my connection with these films can always be a little uh, strange. Now, hmm. give me one second while I look this up. I apologize yeah. because there was this movie with, what was it? it was Freddie Highmore and Emma Roberts, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I don't remember what it was called. I'm looking it up. Oh, the art uh, oh, the art of getting by. In two thousand eleven now huh here's a here's a great for instance now, look, i you know, as much as my high school career, freshman to senior i, I mean i I don't drink now, I, I mean, I've had alcohol before, but I'm not a drinker I'm, it's not my kind of thing, you know, granted, there were house parties, there were people who and you know hung out and did stuff, they didn't go into town and find out the bar, but you know they get alcohol. It's not like people didn't drink, yeah, but something where spectacular now, where Sutter is finding his, his, his weaseling his way into bars and drinking the way it's presented there. Is fine compared to something where *The Art of Getting By*, which is a film where they're literally like sixteen-year-olds who look like they're twelve-year-olds who are just allowed to sit in a bar and order drinks without being ID'd. Uh, it's just it's just nonsensical to me. And so a lot of my I'm not saying I'm like, going into these films specifically looking for realism or uh, proper. I mean, yeah, I am looking for realism personally, but but I'm not, <laughs> it's not I'm not going to judge it on that. But um, there's a part of me that waits for that 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 point where i could say i could see why this is different i can see why they're trying something different talking about something different and that's what i appreciate compared to just seeing somebody try and make a movie based on something they saw from like the 70s where it was a lot easier for that kind of thing to happen and people who were 16 looked like they were 35 (laughs) you know (laughs) stuff like that um so it, it didn't affect me in those in those same ways i guess no
2: Okay, well, that's interesting. I, you saying that just made me think of what was a movie I watched recently where I mean, all the, I mean, this is so many cases where the actors look so much old. Oh, I was watching Superbad Bad and I do think that movie is mm. funny, but even yeah, they well, look, super bad. but they look a little old. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't think they
0: look high school. Honestly, it's, it's funny. It's, it's strange to me because the thinking of people knowing they're older or seeing them as older than I think they should be is not something that bothers me that much mm-hmm. per se when I see movies. It's kind of when it's the opposite when yeah. I don't care if they, because I'm thinking of people who do look that age, but when they're acting and doing things that are totally above that age range, it does, it, something about that seems to irk me more than anything mm. else. And look, I'll say, even though uh, whatever problems you wanted to have with it or not, like I didn't care about Ben Platt being in the film version of uh, Dear Evan Hansen because the whole idea was that he was what made the Broadway show and he was still God knows what age when he did that but I'm doing, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. And there are, so I understand, even though there is a ageism thing in Hollywood, um, I understand kind of hiring actors that are a little older for what age they're supposed to be when it comes to like the high school kind of thing. Doesn't, I don't want somebody who's like 40 playing somebody who's 16. Don't get me wrong. But if there's somewhat passable about it, because if you're trying to, portray something in a certain mature manner whether it's silly the whole time but you have to have a a point where you're trying to point out something and you need somebody who has a little more nuance than somebody who may be younger and have that availability I'm okay with that
2: well and I think it's a balance but let me ask you I don't want to get on a whole rail about you know I don't want to go on a whole tangent about age and but I will ask you then but uh you know there's the new Patton Oswalt movie did you did you watch I haven't seen it yet
0: unfortunately no
2: Okay. Well, I don't know if it's unfortunately. But don't um, tell, don't
0: tell me anything about it. I'm not gonna tell you anything don't about it. No, I don't want to know a thing. <laughs> no, only I th- only
2: about appearance of what of the main actor. Okay. And no, I
0: still I honestly don't you know what I want hear. to know. But
2: okay, all right. You don't want to know about that. I mean, it's not. It's really nothing. It to me, it just bothered me that James more. More. I'm so sorry, James. I spoke to James the other day, so I apologize. <laughs> but my issue is that he, I know this is a, this is kind of in my. You know, I talked about this. uh The movie is
0: about an experience that he had. Obviously. I don't know if you know this about me yet. Like The smallest little thing you tell me about a movie actually affects the way I feel about a movie. That's why I don't want to know things. You don't want to know anything. I don't, I don't right. even know what the movie's about. You
2: don't? no you don't know what the movie's about and i don't want to know <laughs> all right fine then i won't say anything uh besides the fact that he he looks too old and he wrote himself a part that's far too young for him and it, he doesn't have the ben platt excuse that yeah i agree with you i mean I, yes ben platt did look old i'm not gonna act like he doesn't look old in Dear ervin <laughs> and the only reason i know that is because i watched the damn thing um but i will say that Ben Platt did have the excuse of, I sang these songs for 10 years of my life or however long. Um, You know, the character is his. I mean, granted, on stage, you don't see his face up close. You're not thinking about his age. But when you put him in the movie, he just looked old, you know, and it just threw me out a little bit. But he has a reason. I get why you'd want somebody who knows all these songs, like the back of his hands, to star as the same character. Whereas...
0: Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Sorry. And whereas in this other one, there's just no reason you couldn't have handed it to a younger actor. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, look once I see the movie, I'll come back to you on that one. <laughs> um, but I have—I actually haven't seen it yet, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I, like, because this all goes back to, um, not doesn't all go back to one thing, but like a good, for instance, is I remember when um, my big fat Greek wedding came out <laughs> and my brother saw it. He's like, oh, it's really funny. You got to see it. And he started telling me, you know, because Angie Martin's in the movie and my brother and I were SCTV fans when we were kids. And so like, Angie Martin's a big deal to us. And so he wanted to tell me about something she does in the movie. And he told me about it. I'm like, oh, that's great. Ends up being the only, to me, the only funny thing in the entire movie. Hmm. And then it just like, after that, it's like, like, what do I, why am I watching? I don't care. Like, I actually didn't like that movie very much. Um, but that's a small version of it where compared to people tell me things that they think is, are inconsequential. And then when I'm watching the movie, the way I see it and when I watch it actually means something different or something more, it's more important, whatever it may be. And it ruins my experience or changes my feelings of the film. I like to go in as blind... As I possibly can't like for instance summering yeah you know, yeah they sent the synopsis they sent all this stuff I I didn't look at a single thing of it I hmm. looked. I mean I looked as close as I could to get a slight idea so I wasn't you know agreeing to something it was like you know like what if it was something from like somebody who made a movie and there is history of me bashing them for 30 years you know <laughs> and I'm like yeah. maybe I shouldn't talk to this person whatever it is so I have to do some sort of research but I I did not know I didn't know that it said something about being similar to stand by me. So I figured maybe there was a dead body, in it, but I did not know that was going to be the case. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm with you on that.
2: I mean, I don't like watching trailers if I don't have to, I had seen, but for me, it actually was a blessing to have seen the summering trailer. I saw Thor and they attached it to Thor for whatever reason, I guess maybe some of the same demographic. I don't know. Um, This is when I took my cousins to see it on the opening weekend. And, i saw the trailer it piqued my interest and then lo and behold one of the pr companies i got an email from them about it and then i knew what it was And i was like oh cool now and i knew the director so i was like oh this is great you know it, it worked out well but i also understand but you haven't so i can't even talk to you about bodies 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 and i'm, I'm quite i haven't seen disappointed. that yet either yeah so disappointed in you for that um well,
0: look i mean i gotta pick and choose sometimes when i'm when i'm caught between a rock and a hard place uh, and that, i haven't seen that one yet either so i'll see it eventually
2: yeah. Well, if you want to transition this back to spectacular now, in Summering, that's I—I I took us off the rails, like yeah. No, well, look, look, <laughs> way look. far off.
0: Spectacular. You know, I—I I, I, like I was saying, those. I mean, even even if there were character types that I could try and connect with on a certain level, the atmosphere of the spectacular now, whether it was the version of James's life growing up or what the original story was is far from the type of school I went to uh, and far from the type of experiences I had. Now, granted, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, so while there was town, it was, it was a different type of town than, than you would have in, in something like The Spectacular now. So like, that was more of just an experience to me than compared to being a, like a, something that could spark a memory in me. Wait, so did you live in – you didn't live in New York City your whole life? I thought that's what – I thought you No, lived I grew in up this- in Long Island.
2: Oh, okay, okay. But I will say that I can see where that would be a little bit different. I mean, the suburbs that you see in that movie are kind of similar. To where i live in pa uh, i will say the most unrealistic part of spectacular now is uh the fact that they look at philadelphia as this great place like i know that they're in maybe in georgia that's this is like exciting but you know how much Shilling woodley's character talks about like oh we're gonna go to philly it just sounds like this great it's like the mecca of the world i mean look i went to school in virginia for a year and people there talked about new york city you know
0: like because they never le- they'd never left the state that i get philadelphia really well that's the thing you know yeah, her sister's there, but it, it came to me that she had never been there herself too. It's, and it was seemed like it was being sold to her and the way she, way yeah, she believed in it. So I'm okay with that. That's fair. Um, uh, you know, I'm also okay with, you know, like there are people who go places when they're kids and they have experiences and they, they get connected to something and then like, and that's just, it means so much to them. Um, but we like, look, look, I'm trying not to go too far off the rails again, but like <laughs> when I was in high school and- um Homicide: Life on the Street was my big thing on TV that I used to watch when I was a kid, and okay. so this is pre Wire, um, you know Dave, Dave, David Simon stuff like that, but still based on all those books. And it showed you less of the of the you know quote unquote inner city version of Baltimore that the Wire shows you. So I always had this fascination that I'm in love with Baltimore, even though all oh, I got no. to see was just the pier, and when they went out to some of <laughs> the rich person's house, you know, and the <laughs> police station. The
2: the funny thing about that is that when every time I go to because I have family in Baltimore, so I, I was yeah. just there last month. I'm gonna <laughs> be there in a couple of weeks. Every time I go there, that the pier is the one place people say is nice in Baltimore. And the fact that you just named it, I mean it's like the no, one yeah, thing but that's
0: people... the that's the thing. Yeah, that's what they try and sell, right? The <laughs> wire was filmed there too, right? I mean that's yeah, well, the other... yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. So, yeah, the I mean, wire was, you know... was all about Baltimore yeah so well there's again it's all david simon because he was the beat writer for the baltimore sun so uh, it's all his stuff that he wrote this was all based on the things that he wrote based on uh, going there but what about you for like spectacular now because again that's spectacular now is also more timely you know contemporary for you i would say as far as where you were when you know compared to when it came out so did it did it spark yeah. things in you that you weren't uh <laughs> i
2: was trying not to make you feel old this episode
0: but <laughs> <laughs> well, i always tend to do this um uh no i'm
2: it did. I think I was, what was I 18 or 19? I'm young when I went to college. So I think I was 18. And I just didn't have the same high school experience. But I grew up in the same kind of area. You know, like the suburban PA is very similar to the Georgia that you know, they were they were in and the people that I saw in the movie, it did kind of resonate. And I know that I'm going back to that. But even like Miles Teller, you know, I do have people in my life. And I, I know towards the end of the movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, you know, he kind of he's finishing his essay. I mean, he starts with it. So I guess you'd know. Um, and he's trying to make a difference in his life, right? But for most of the movie, he kind of feels like that guy who's going to peak in high school, not because he's, like, this great athlete or because of this, but he's, he's pretty popular, you know he's, social, you know, he's social and all this, but, you know, he has kind of no desire to, like, leave and, and spread his wings out, out of this town until the, I guess, until the end, right? Am I, this is just how I saw it. And I, it just, it's yeah, not like more. he was a, you know, it's not like he was an alcoholic or, or I mean, he well, did he was, drink. But, I mean, I guess he kind of was, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't yeah, know but, if that really...
0: Spectacular Now is is a strange one in where even in the ending, even with him realizing certain things, you you can't positively say whether he actually turned enough of a corner because he still has that kind of puffed up chest kind of attitude. Not not, not in the alpha male kind of way, because that is the thing about the character and about the movie that is very different. I should say the story, I guess, that's very different from a lot of the similar things, because while he does do things out of a selfish mirror it's different even than let's say like the Zach Morris's of the world in where, yeah, he had his, his best friend was the geek in the high school and he was also friends with the jock and he was kind of the, the cool boy, you know? So like, it's not like there was still these clicky ideas and there, those exist in the spectacular now too, but it's much different in where there's, there's not a derogatory version of it in the spectacular now, hmm. which is where there is that idea to, again, that even when we see him in his most, self-centered, still obviously sauced up kind of version of yeah. himself. You still can't kinda of say Yo, he's a bad guy, I guess, you know? Yeah. Although it
2: does really bug me. I because I hadn't seen the movie since I rewatched it last night. I hadn't seen it since the first time I saw it a few years back. So I kind of forgot certain parts, including like <laughs> the car part. Uh that really hit me by surprise. Pun intended uh but <laughs> um but i mean i i do agree with you it is kind of hard because like his mom says at the end of the movie uh that he he does have a good heart right i think she says he is like the best heart of anybody she knows i don't know about that i mean he kind of i don't like the way he kind of plays both sides of the fence where you know, when he's talking to his friend, he's like, "Well, what if she catches feelings?" And the friend is kind of aware of what might happen. And he's like, no, "No, no, I won't let it get that far." And then, meanwhile, he is falling in love with her. And it—I know that that's—it's it, part of the plot. But that stuff just irritates me because it's so annoying. That kind of character, you know, that's where he was at his most slimy. and i, I couldn't stand him in those. Yeah, well, because
0: that's—and I don't mean to make it sound like he's saying he wasn't, because again, he is self-centered and it is very yeah, slimy what he's course. doing. And like, even if he thinks of it out of the, the goodness of his heart, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And and what he ends up feeling at the end of the day um, probably isn't real either, you know? Yeah. Um, but it still is a different type of presentation that I'm used to. And I think that's mm-hmm. why again, I I feel bad cause I'm not trying to paint him as a good guy, but, but he's not a bad, but he's not, a. Oh, it's, it's just, so, it's, it's, it's such a moral muddy swamp that he, that he lives in yeah. that it's actually hard to kind of, to, to, vo- to voice out. Cause I'm not trying to paint him as a hero in any way whatsoever. Um, but it's you know, I don't know, it's 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 a, it's a tricky ground to talk about, actually, which That's is why, what which is what, which is why, again, even if you like a film or don't like a film could make it what you would should say is a good film, let's say, because it it helps question those things
2: no and I agree it is a complicated you know character it it is hard because you can't really it's, it's like you said but I think that's kind of the beauty of the movie and that's why I I do like it a lot though <laughs> although I didn't realize how frustrating it can be to watch at times um but I will say something you said earlier was that you know I think the most contemporary high school movie that I've seen and I don't know how you're gonna feel about this um, is Smart for me and I still love that that's what introduced me to Caitlin. Ta actually uh oh oh no you
0: still haven't seen it
2: Oh, okay. Well, that's not as bad. I thought you were just gonna say you hated no, it. I I like, oh, I no, I hadn't
0: seen it when it first when it was first coming around because I got busy with some stuff. And it's one of those ones I'm like always like, oh, I got it, I got to remember to finally watch Booksmart. I finally, and then something yeah. else gets in the way, and I just haven't seen it yet.
2: Oh, it's so good. And that to me is the most like authentic to my generation. I mean, that really feels. And I don't know. I I don't think enough people saw it. That's what got me on the Caitlin Deaver hype train, speaking of spectacular <laughs> now and our interview. Uh, I'll call it hype train just to be, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is a brilliant movie, but you haven't seen it. So I'm not going to say anything else then, I guess.
0: Uh, I've surprisingly been able to keep blind enough. I mean, again, I kind of know what it's about, but it's able to keep blind enough about specifics that I don't have to, uh, i shouldn't have to hide much more so. i'm not
2: gonna say anything but you do you know anything about like the cast like any any of the people in the cast i know that... it's
0: her and beanie feldstein and i mm-hmm. know that it was made by um olivia um yep
2: why am right? wild
0: thank you olivia i don't know how i brain farted on her last name olivia wild that's basically all i know
2: okay but you, do you know anything about beanie feldstein or because i didn't know much about her going in like
0: about her in, in real life
2: yeah like anything about her family or who she is and... Well, Jonah, you mean talking about jonah hill yeah. Okay. So you know that yeah, I did yeah. not. I did not know that going in, which was a, a surprise to say. <laughs> say at this is kind of like a female super bad. I'm not to compa- You know, it's a little yeah. Bit better, I got you. But, yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't know if you knew that because I didn't know that. And then after I watched it and I I read that, I had to watch it again and then super bad. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> it blew my mind. Um. Okay. Well, at least you knew that. I didn't know. It. I was trying to tiptoe around that. <laughs> I was
0: Trying to play like categories with you. I'm like, so what do you know about her family ties? <laughs> But yeah, that, that I know, but not much about the movie. But however, I think it's time that people go see is gonna be available to see on starting August 12th. Make sure you go out and see it. Cross the spectacular now off your overdue rentals list. It's available currently on HBO Max while it's still HBO Max, I guess. I don't know what's gonna happen uh, for you to watch now if you'd like to. Uh, in the meantime, Andrew, where can people find you? Uh,
2: I'm on Twitter at Andrew Corpin1. I, I hate that I can't get my full name in there, <laughs> but yeah, just uh, check me out there.
0: Well, you know, and of course, if you have any suggestions, want to give us your thoughts on Summering or the *Spectacular Now*, or any films you think we should be talking about here on the *Overdue Rentals* podcast, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and TikTok at uh, *Overdue Rentals*. You can find us on Twitter at uh, *Rentals Overdue* and uh, on Instagram at *Overdue Rentals Show*. And with that, oh, Andrew, I know you, were, I know you were with us for one episode, but do you know our traditional salutation to leave? I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just give us a quick blah bye blah bye If you enjoy listening to Overdue Rentals, make sure to support us by going to anchor.fm slash overdue rentals slash support to donate and keep us going to make better episodes for the future.